Welcome to Stories of Rune Terra. My name is Guy Black, or Raven Hood on the interwebs, and I'm just a humble storyteller here to draw you into the vast world of Rune Terra by Riot Games. Think of it as an unofficial audiobook of League stories and lore. And this is the second in a special mini-series we're doing in honor of the Riot Forge Games Ruined King, and we'll be jumping into the some of the stories behind the characters in there. Thanks for stopping by, and don't forget to share this with your friends or share your thoughts with me with the hashtag Stories of Runeterra or at Ravenhood on Instagram and Twitter. And without further ado, a 30-second promo for Anchor and into our second part of Shadow and Fortune by Graham McNeil. Miss Fortune snapped the barrels of her pistol shut and laid them down on the table next to her short-bladed sword. Scores of frantic bells and shouts of alarm echoed from the panicked city below. She knew well what they signified. The harrowing. In defiance of the incoming storm, she'd kept the shuttered windows of her newly acquired villa open, daring the dead to come for her. Muttering winds carried their hunger in a cold that settled bone deep. Perched high on Bilgewater's eastern cliffs, the villa had once belonged to a hated gang leader. In the chaos of Gangplank's fall, he'd been dragged from his bed and had his brains bashed out on the cobbles. Now it belonged to misfortune, and she'd be damned if she'd go the same way. She reached up and ran a fingertip around the curves of the pendant Alawi had given her at Burns sinking. The coral was warm to the touch, and though she didn't truly believe in what it represented, is a pretty enough bauble. The door to her chamber opened and she let the pendant drop. She knew who was behind her without turning. Only one man would dare enter without knocking. What are you doing? asked Raffin. What does it look like I'm doing? Like you're about to go do something damn stupid. Stupid? said Miss Fortune, placing her hands on the table. We shed blood and lost good people to bring down Gangplank, and I'm not gonna let the harrowing just... Just what? Take this place from me. She snapped, lifting her pistols and jamming them into her custom-tooled hip scabbards, and you're not gonna stop me. We're not here to stop you. Misfortune turned to see Raffin at the threshold of her chambers. A score of her best fighters waited in the vestibule beyond, armed to the teeth with a mixture of muskets, wheel-lock pistols, clanking bundles of clay splinter bombs, and cutlasses that looked like they'd been looted from a museum. Looks like you're about to do something damn stupid as well, she said. Aye, agreed Raffin, walking over to the open window and slamming the shutters closed. You really think we'd let our captain go out to face that alone? I almost died bringing Gangplank down. I'm not done yet. I don't expect you to go with me. Not tonight, said Miss Fortune, coming to stand before her men and resting her hands on the carved walnut grips of her guns. This, this isn't your fight. Course it bloody is, said Raffin. Miss Fortune took a breath and nodded. There's a chance we won't live to see the morning, she said. 
unable to keep the hint of a smile tugging at her lip. This ain't our first heroine together, Captain, said Raffin, tapping the skull pommel of his sword, and I'll be damned if it's our last. was in sight of the winter's kiss when he heard the screams. He ignored them at first. Screams were nothing new in Bilgewater. But then he saw men and women running from the quayside in terror, and his interest was piqued. They scrambled from their boats and fled for the crooked streets as fast as they could. They didn't look back and they didn't stop, not even when a shipmate tripped or fell into the water. Olaf had seen men run from battle, but this was something else. This was naked terror, and he'd only ever seen this etched on the frozen corpses sped out by glaciers where the ice witch was said to dwell. Shutters were slamming shut all across the wharf, and the strange symbols he'd seen on every door were frantically being dusted with white powder. Enormous winches were lifting timber structures formed from bolted-together hulls of ships high up to the cliffs. He recognized a tavern keeper who ran a drinking den where the beer was only slightly stronger than troll piss and waved to him. What's going on? shouted Olaf. The tavern keeper shook his head and pointed to the ocean before slamming his door. Olaf set the Krakenworm's tooth on the stone wharf and turned to see what all the fuss was about. At first he thought a storm was coming in, but it was just thick black sea fog albeit fog that approached with unnatural speed and fluid motion. Oh, now, he said, unhooking his axe from his belt. This looks promising! The feel of the weapon's battle-worn leather grip was pleasing in his calloused palm as he passed it from hand to hand, rolling his shoulders to loosen the muscles. The black mist swept over the farthest ships, and Olaf's eyes widened as he saw spirits plucked from the blackest nightmares writhing in the mist. A towering dread knight, a monstrous chimera of warhorse and man, led them alongside a black-clad reaper limbed in green fire. These lords of the dead left the spirit host to their sport on the quayside as they flew into Bilgewater proper with predatory speed. Olaf had heard the natives speak in hushed whispers of something called the Harrowing, a time of doom and darkness, but hadn't expected to be lucky enough to face it axe in hand. The host of the dead tore in the wallowing galleys, merchantmen and corsair ships with claw and fang, ripping them apart like an ursine with its snout and a fresh kill. Sailcloth tore and rigging lines snapped as easily as rotten sinew. Heavy masts splintered as boats were tossed into one another and smashed into kindling. A host of screaming wraiths flew into the winter's kiss and Olaf roared in anger as the long reaver's keel heaved and split, its timbers freezing solid in a heartbeat. The boat sank as swiftly as if its hold was filled with rocks, and Olaf felt his fellow frail Jordians dragged below the water by creatures with cadaverous limbs and fish-hooked mouths. Olaf will make you wish you had stayed dead, he yelled as he charged along the wharf. Spirits boiled up from the ocean, icy claws slashing towards him. Olaf's axe sang out, cleaving a glittering arc through the host. 
The dead screeched as his blade sundered them, its true ice edge more lethal than any enchantment. They howled as they died a second time, and Olaf sang the song he'd written for the moment of his death with lusty vigor. The words were simple, but equal of any saga told by the wandering poets of the ice. How long has he waited to sing these words? How often had he feared he might never get the chance? A shimmering mist of snapping jaws swarmed him, specters and things of mist. Webs of frost patterned his hauberk, and the deathly touch of voracious spirits burned his skin. But Olaf's heart was mighty, and it fired his blood to heights of fury unknown to all but the berserker. He shrugged off the pain of the wraith touch, feeling reason recede and fury build. Crimson froth built at the corners of his mouth as he bit the inside of his cheeks raw. He roared and swung his axe like a madman, caring nothing for the pain, only that he slew his enemies. That they were dead already meant nothing to him. Olaf drew his axe back, ready to strike another blow, when a deafening crash of splintering columns and roof beams erupted behind him. He spun to face this new foe as a blizzard of smashed wood and stone cascaded onto the quayside. Bladed shards sliced his face, and fist-sized chunks of stone pummeled his arms raw. Rendered fats and animal fluids fell in rank drizzle as a horrendous groaning issued from the black mist. Then he saw it. The spirit of the Kraken Worm arose from the remains of the slaughter dock, titanic and filled with fury, its ghostly tentacles lifted into the air and smashed down like thunderbolts hurled by an angry god. An entire street was smashed to ruin in the blink of an eye, and Olaf's berserker fury surged as he finally beheld a foe worthy of claiming his life. Olaf raised his axe in salute of his killer. "'Ya beauty!' he yelled and charged to his doom. The woman was beautiful, with wide, almond-shaped eyes, full lips, and the high cheekbones common to Demacia. The portrait in the locket was a miniature masterpiece, but it failed to capture the depth of Senna's strength and determination. He rarely looked at her picture, knowing that to carry his grief too close to his heart made him weak. Grief was a chink in his armor. Lucian could not allow himself to truly feel her loss, so he snapped the locket shut. He knew he should bury it in the sand of this cave beneath the cliffs, but could not put her memory below the earth as he had her body. He would shut the grief away until Thresh was destroyed and Senna's death avenged. Then, and only then, would Lucian mourn his lost wife with tears and offerings to the veiled lady. How long had it been since that terrible night? He felt the bottomless abyss of sorrow lurking in ambush and viciously suppressed as he had so many times before. He drew on the teachings of his order, repeating the mantras he and Senna had been taught to close themselves off from emotion. Only then could he reach a place of equilibrium that would allow him to face deathly horrors beyond imagining. The grief ebbed, slowly, but it remained. He'd opened the locket only reluctantly, 
feeling a growing distance between himself and Senna's memory. He found he could no longer recall the exact sweep of her jawline, the smoothness of her skin, or the precise color of her eyes. The longer his hunt went on, the further away she felt. Lucian lifted his head, letting the breath ease from his lungs, forcing his heartbeat to slow. The walls of the cave were pale limestone, gouged from the cliffs upon which Bilgewater was built. The motion of the water and the stone picks of the natives had crafted a labyrinth beneath the city few knew of or even suspected existed. The pale rock walls were etched with looping spirals, rippling waves, and things that might have been unblinking eyes. He'd learned these were symbols of the native religion, but whoever had carved them had not visited this place for many years. He'd found it by following the secret symbols of his own order, symbols that would guide him to places of refuge and succor in any city of Valoran. Only the dim reflections of light shimmered on the roof of the cave, but as his eyes followed the spiral of carvings, a shimmering radiance spread from his palm. Let me be your shield. Lucian looked down, the memory of her words as clear as though she had stood next to him. The locket glistened with lambent green flame. He looped the chain of the locket around his neck and swept up his twin relic pistols. Thresh. Bilgewater's streets were deserted. The bells from the ocean were still ringing and cries of terror echoed from below. Rat Town was completely covered by the black mist, and howling storms raged over Port Morn's desolation. Fires burned all along Butcher's Bridge, and a shimmering fog clung to the cliffs above the Grey Harbor. The people in the upper reaches of the city hid in their homes and prayed to the bearded lady that the harrowing would pass them by, that grief would fall upon some other poor unfortunate. Warding candles of ambergris burned in every window, shimmering through bottle green sea glass. Burning roots of empress of the dark forest hung from doors, shutters, and nailed up planks. People really believe in the empress? asked Miss Fortune. Raffin shrugged. His mouth a thin line and the creases of his eyes pulled tight as he searched the gathering mist for threats. He pulled out a smoldering length of identical root from beneath his shirt. It's all about where you place your faith, isn't it? Miss Fortune drew her pistols. I have faith in these. And in us, she said. What else are you carrying? This cutlass has kept me safe through six harrowings, he said, tapping his pommel again. I offered a, a bottle of ten-year-old rum to the bearded lady, and this knife here was sold to me by a man who swore its edge was purest sunsteel. Miss Fortune glanced at the scabbarded knife, certain without even seeing the blade that Raffin had been swindled. The workmanship around the Quillians was too poor to be Demacian, but she wasn't about to tell him that. What about you? he asked. Miss Fortune patted her pouch of pistol shot. Everyone's been dipped in Myron's dark she said, loud enough for every one of her thirty-strong company to hear. If that dead wants a fight, we'll meet him with the spirits of our own. The oppressive gloom made it hard to laugh, but she saw a few smiles, and that was about as much as she could expect on a night like this. 
She turned and pushed down into Bilgewater, descending crooked stairs cut into the rock of the cliffs, crossing street bridges and half-rotted rope and threading forgotten alleys that hadn't known the tread of feet in years. She brought them out onto a wide square on one of the floating wharf shanties, where swaying dwellings leaned together as though their twisted eaves whispered to one another. Every facade was a mishmash of driftwood, and patterns of frost clung to the skewed timbers. Frozen winds blew through the patchwork dwellings, frightened with sobs and screams from afar. Flaming braziers hung from hundreds of mast lines strung between buildings, smoking with strange herbs. Pools of water rippled with reflections of things that weren't there. Most days, this was a thriving marketplace, packed to the gun walls with stalls, rattling meat vendors, drink hawkers, merchants, pirates, bounty hunters, and surly floatsome washed in from every corner of the world. Just about everywhere in Bilgewater had a view of this place, which was just how misfortune wanted it. Mist clung to every outcropping of timber. Discarded figureheads wept frozen tears. Mist and shadows gathered. Catpur Square, said Raffin. How did we get here? I ran this place as a wharf snipe. I thought I knew every way in and out like any good little thief. Not every way, said Miss Fortune. The counting houses on either side were silent and dark. She resisted the impulse to look through the torn sheets of flapping canvas nailed over porthole windows. How do you know these routes and I don't? Lady Bilgewater and I are two of a kind, said Miss Fortune, her gaze narrowing as black mist seeped into the square. She whispers her secrets to me like an old friend, so I know her every hidden wind and jitty like you never will. Raffin grunted as they spread into the empty square. What next? We wait, said Miss Fortune, as they reached the center of the square, feeling terribly exposed. The black mist twitched with things moving in its depths. A disembodied skull of ghostly light stretched from the darkness, empty-eyed and with sharpened teeth, its jaw stretched wider than any natural bone structure would allow, and a keening wail built in its gullet. Miss Fortune's bullets punched through each of its eye sockets and the skull vanished with a shriek of frustration. She twisted the wheel lock on each pistol and ingenious mechanisms within reloaded each one. For a moment, all was silent. Then the black mist erupted in a screeching howl as the spirits of the dead surged into the square. Olaf was in sight of the winter's kiss when he heard the screams. He ignored them at first. Screams were nothing new in Bilgewater. But then he saw men and women running from the quayside in terror, and his interest was piqued. They scrambled from their boats and fled for the crooked streets as fast as they could. They didn't look back and they didn't stop, not even when a shipmate tripped or fell into the water. Olaf had seen men run from battle, but this was something else. This was naked terror, and he'd only ever seen this etched on the frozen corpses sped out by glaciers where the ice witch was said to dwell. 
Shutters were slamming shut all across the wharf, and the strange symbols he'd seen on every door were frantically being dusted with white powder. Enormous winches were lifting timber structures formed from bolted-together hulls of ships high up to the cliffs. He recognized a tavern keeper who ran a drinking den where the beer was only slightly stronger than troll piss and waved to him. What's going on? shouted Olaf. The tavern keeper shook his head and pointed to the ocean before slamming his door. Olaf set the Kraken Worm's tooth on the stone wharf and turned to see what all the fuss was about. At first he thought a storm was coming in, but it was just thick black sea fog albeit fog that approached with unnatural speed and fluid motion. Oh, now, he said, unhooking his axe from his belt. This looks promising! The feel of the weapon's battle-worn leather grip was pleasing in his calloused palm as he passed it from hand to hand, rolling his shoulders to loosen the muscles. The black mist swept over the farthest ships, and Olaf's eyes widened as he saw spirits plucked from the blackest nightmares writhing in the mist. A towering dread knight, a monstrous chimera of warhorse and man, led them alongside a black-clad reaper limbed in green fire. These lords of the dead left the spirit host to their sport on the quay side as they flew into Bilgewater proper with predatory speed. Olaf had heard the natives speak in hushed whispers of something called the Harrowing, a time of doom and darkness, but hadn't expected to be lucky enough to face it axe in hand. The host of the dead tore into the wallowing galleys, merchantmen and corsair ships with claw and fang, ripping them apart like an ursine with its snout and a fresh kill. Sailcloth tore and rigging lines snapped as easily as rotten sinew. Heavy masts splintered as boats were tossed into one another and smashed into kindling. A host of screaming wraiths flew into the winter's kiss and Olaf roared in anger as the Long Reaver's keel heaved and split, its timbers freezing solid in a heartbeat. The boat sank as swiftly as if its hold was filled with rocks, and Olaf felt his fellow frail Jordians dragged below the water by creatures with cadaverous limbs and fish-hooked mouths. Olaf will make you wish you had stayed dead, he yelled as he charged along the wharf. Spirits boiled up from the ocean, icy claws slashing towards him. Olaf's axe sang out, cleaving a glittering arc through the host. The dead screeched as his blade sundered them, its true ice edge more lethal than any enchantment. They howled as they died a second time, and Olaf sang the song he'd written for the moment of his death with lusty vigor. The words were simple, but equal of any saga told by the wandering poets of the ice. How long has he waited to sing these words? How often had he feared he might never get the chance? A shimmering mist of snapping jaws swarmed him, specters and things of mist. Webs of frost patterned his hauberk, and the deathly touch of voracious spirits burned his skin. But Olaf's heart was mighty, and it fired his blood to heights of fury unknown to all but the berserker. He shrugged off the pain of the wraith touch, feeling reason recede and fury build. Crimson froth built at the corners of his mouth as he bit the inside of his cheeks raw. He roared and swung his axe like a madman, caring nothing for the pain, only that he slew his enemies. 
that they were dead already meant nothing to him. Olaf drew his axe back, ready to strike another blow, when a deafening crash of splintering columns and roof beams erupted behind him. He spun to face this new foe as a blizzard of smashed wood and stone cascaded onto the quayside. Bladed shards sliced his face, and fist-sized chunks of stone pummeled his arms raw. Rendered fats and animal fluids fell in rank drizzle as a horrendous groaning issued from the black mist. Then he saw it. The spirit of the Kraken Worm arose from the remains of the slaughter dock, titanic and filled with fury. Its ghostly tentacles lifted into the air and smashed down like thunderbolts hurled by an angry god. An entire street was smashed to ruin in the blink of an eye, and Olaf's berserker fury surged as he finally beheld a foe worthy of claiming his life. Olaf raised his axe in salute of his killer. You beauty! He yelled and charged to his doom. A wraith creature with grasping talons and a mouth of icy fangs lunged from the swirling mass of spirits. Misfortune put a bullet through its face and it vanished like a smoke in a gale. A second shot and another spirit vanished. She grinned through her fear as she spun into cover behind a weather-worn stone bollard of the River King to reload. On impulse, she leaned over and gave his toothy grin a kiss. It's all about where you place your faith. Gods, bullets, or her own skill. The grin fell from her face as one of the pistols jammed with a grinding crunch of metal. Her mother's admonishing words arose from the dark recesses of her memory. That's what you get when you someone else mixes your powder, Sarah, she said, holstering the gun and sliding her sword from its sheath. She'd looted it from the captain of a Damasian galliot running north from the Shuriman Rust Coast and it was as fine an example of the artificer's art as any she'd ever seen. Misfortune spun from cover, firing her loaded pistol and slashing her sword through the mist creatures. Her shot plucked another specter from the air, and her sword's edge bit as if cutting flesh and bone. Did the spirits of the dead have physical component to them that could be hurt? It seemed unlikely, but she was wounding something inside of them. She didn't have time to think too hard on the matter and suspected that whatever power she'd tapped into would be undone if she did. Men and women screamed as the howling storm of dead spirits filled Catpurse Square, slashing with claws that froze their blood or reached into chests and sundered hearts with terror. Seven were dead, maybe more, their souls wrenched from their fallen corpses to turn on their comrades. Her heroic band fought with blades and muskets, shouting the name of the bearded lady, their loved ones, and even heathen gods of faraway lands. Whatever works, thought Misfortune. Raffin was down on one knee, his face ashen, breathing like a wharfside doxy after a long shift. Scraps of mist clung to him like cobwebs, and the smoldering root around his neck burned with a fierce cherry-red glow. "'On your feet! This fight isn't done!' she said. "'Don't tell me the fight's not done,' he snapped, pushing himself to his feet. "'I've been through more harrowing than you could wrap a dead rat's tail around.' 
Before Misfortune could ask exactly what that meant, he leaned to the side and fired his pistol at something behind her. A conjoined spirit of wolf and bat screeched as it was banished, and Misfortune returned the favor as a spirit form of grasping hooks and snapping fangs lunged at her second-in-command. "'Everyone down!' shouted Misfortune, plucking a pair of splinter bombs from her belt and lobbing them into the howling mist." They detonated with a deafening explosion of fire and smoke. Wood splinters and fragments of stone ricocheted. Broken glass fell in a glittering rain of daggers. Acrid fog filled the square, but it was man-made and entirely bereft of spirits. Raffin shook his head and worked a finger in his ear. What was in that bomb? Black powder mixed with essence of copal and rue, said Misfortune. One for my special stash. And stuff like that works on the dead? My mother believed in it, she said. Good enough for me, said Raffin. You know, we just might make it through. Don't say it, warned Misfortune. The mist began coalescing throughout the square, first in thin tendrils and wisps, then in glowing outlines of monsters, things with conjoined legs, fang-filled jaws, and arms that ended in hooks or pincers. The spirits they thought they'd killed, reforming, returning. What was it the folks said about plans and the contents of a privy? Turns out the dead are pretty hard to kill, said Miss Fortune, trying not to let her fear show. She'd been naive to think petty trinkets and blind faith were enough to face the spirits of the dead. She'd wanted to show the people of Bilgewater they didn't need gangplank, that they could forge their own destiny. Instead... She was going to get herself killed and leave the city to be torn apart. A bass rumble rolled through the square. Then another. Percussive thunderstrikes rising in a stalking storm. It grew to become a pounding hammer blows upon an anvil, faster and louder until the ground shook with violence. What in the nine deeps is that? said Raphim. I don't know said Misfortune as the outline of a spectral horseman in midnight plate emerged from the mist. He sat atop a strangely proportioned warhorse, and his helm was worked in the form of a snarling demon. A dread knight, said Misfortune. Raffin shook his head, his face drained of color. That's, that's no knight, he said. That's, that's the shadow of war. A wraith creature with grasping talons and a mouth of icy fangs lunged from the swirling mass of spirits. Misfortune put a bullet through its face and it vanished like a smoke in a gale. A second shot and another spirit vanished. She grinned through her fear as she spun into cover behind a weather-worn stone bollard of the River King to reload. On impulse, she leaned over and gave his toothy grin a kiss. It's all about where you place your faith. God's bullets or her own skill. 
The grin fell from her face as one of the pistols jammed with a grinding crunch of metal. Her mother's admonishing words arose from the dark recesses of her memory. That's what you get when you someone else mixes your powder, Sarah, she said, holstering the gun and sliding her sword from its sheath. She'd looted it from the captain of a Damasian galliot running north from the Shuriman Rust Coast, and it was as fine an example of the artificer's art as any she'd ever seen. Miss Fortune spun from cover, firing her loaded pistol and slashing her sword through the mist creatures. Her shot plucked another specter from the air, and her sword's edge bit as if cutting flesh and bone. Did the spirits of the dead have physical component to them that could be hurt? It seemed unlikely, but she was wounding something inside of them. She didn't have time to think too hard on the matter, and suspected that whatever power she'd tapped into would be undone if she did. Men and women screamed as the howling storm of dead spirits filled Catpurse Square, slashing with claws that froze their blood or reached into chests and sundered hearts with terror. Seven were dead, maybe more, their souls wrenched from their fallen corpses to turn on their comrades. Her heroic band fought with blades and muskets, shouting the name of the bearded lady, their loved ones, and even heathen gods of faraway lands. Whatever works, thought Misfortune. Roffin was down on one knee, his face ashen, breathing like a wharfside doxy after a long shift. Scraps of mist clung to him like cobwebs, and the smoldering root around his neck burned with a fierce cherry-red glow. "'On your feet! This fight isn't done!' she said. "'Don't tell me the fight's not done!' he snapped, pushing himself to his feet. "'I've been through more harrowing than you could wrap a dead rat's tail around.' Before Misfortune could ask exactly what that meant, he leaned to the side and fired his pistol at something behind her. A conjoined spirit of wolf and bat screeched as it was banished, and Misfortune returned the favor as a spirit form of grasping hooks and snapping fangs lunged at her second-in-command. "'Everyone down!' shouted Misfortune, plucking a pair of splinter bombs from her belt and lobbing them into the howling mist." They detonated with a deafening explosion of fire and smoke. Wood splinters and fragments of stone ricocheted. Broken glass fell in a glittering rain of daggers. Acrid fog filled the square, but it was man-made and entirely bereft of spirits. Raffin shook his head and worked a finger in his ear. What was in that bomb? Black powder mixed with essence of copal and rue, said Miss Fortune. One for my special stash. And stuff like that works on the dead? My mother believed in it, she said. Good enough for me, said Raffin. You know, we just might make it through. Don't say it, warned Miss Fortune. The mist began coalescing throughout the square, first in thin tendrils and wisps, then in glowing outlines of monsters, things with conjoined legs, fang-filled jaws, and arms that ended in hooks or pincers. The spirits they thought they'd killed, reforming, returning. What was it the folks said about plans and the contents of a privy? Turns out the dead are pretty hard to kill, said Miss Fortune, trying not to let her fear show. She'd been naive to think petty trinkets and blind faith were enough to face the spirits of the dead. She'd wanted to show the people of Bilgewater they didn't need gangplank, that they could forge their own destiny. Instead... She was going to get herself killed and leave the city to be torn apart. A bass rumble rolled through the square. Then another. Percussive thunderstrikes rising in a stalking storm. 
It grew to become a pounding hammer blows upon an anvil, faster and louder until the ground shook with violence. What in the nine deeps is that? said Raphim. I don't know, said Misfortune as the outline of a spectral horseman in midnight plate emerged from the mist. He sat atop a strangely proportioned warhorse, and his helm was worked in the form of a snarling demon. A dread knight, said Misfortune. Raffin shook his head, his face drained of color. That's, that's no knight, he said. That's, that's the shadow of war.